Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. everyone and welcome to the Squiggly Careers podcast. I'm Sarah, one of the co-founders of Amazing If, and I'm joined by my kind of poorly and a bit coffee co-founder, Helen. Hello, everybody. So a bit croaky. She is a little bit croaky, so you're probably going to hear a bit more of me today and maybe a little bit less of Helen. She's sitting there hugging her hot drink. and has I will had... not let the podcast down. <laughs> <laughs> and she has had a lot of cough medicine before doing this podcast. So, so it could all go a bit crazy. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. And for any new listeners, thank you for joining us. The purpose of our podcast is all about helping everyone to develop the skills that you need to be successful in a squiggly career. Our careers are getting squigglier. We're finding kind of as every day and every month goes by, there's more options, there's more change, there's more ambiguity. And often that can feel really exciting and full of promise, but also it can feel overwhelming. Maybe there's more kind of stress in our lives than there's ever been before. And we really want to equip you to feel like you can do what you enjoy, what you love and kind of be at your best. And it's so lovely when you take the time to get in touch with us and let us know that you're enjoying the podcast. So thank you to everybody who does that. We had a lovely lady get in touch with us, actually from uh, Canada, which I find really glamorous. I've never been to Canada um, and I would love to go if she'd like to invite me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I wouldn't mind uh, going for a little ski in those mountains. Uh, Just telling us how much of an impact the podcast has had, how it's really helped her at work and with some decisions she was trying to make. And actually, that feels really pertinent to today's topic, where we're going to be talking about decision making. And we were reflecting on decisions within the context of a squiggly career. And I think the reason they're becoming more important than ever is almost to do with like the volume of decisions that we're all going to be making. So there's just more choices out there for us. So previously, when jobs were more linear and predictable and more kind of staircase-like, you were told what to do a lot of the time. So you were in more of a kind of command and control and kind of hierarchical context. Whereas actually now you can choose things like where you want to work. You might choose how you want to work. You might choose what country you want to work in. There's so much more movement, more opportunity, but that does almost put loads more pressure on us. It's almost that thing, isn't it, of like at what point does too much choice become paralysing and then you just think, I just don't know anymore. And I think actually it's in the context of in your wider life, you're also making more decisions in your wider life because there's more information. We're now mm. faced with so much more information coming at us, whether it's, um, you know, you, I, think, I think we used to just sort of interact with our TV and people. And now you've got, <laughs> now, and nowadays in the modern world, there's the smartphone. But do you know? <laughs> well, now you watch Gogglebox, which exactly. then watches people interacting with their TV. <laughs> at the same time as you're on your iPad yeah. and your phone and maybe your laptop and your other half might be doing the same. Who knows what your children are doing? But there's basically these kind of uh, streams of information information going through and you're making many more decisions because of all that information so not only is your career 
Um, there's far more options and decisions to make in the context of your career. Actually, in life as a whole, I, I saw some research that said on a daily basis, we're making 35,000 decisions. And I was like, that's ridiculous. But it is like everything from, I don't know, <laughs> do I wear socks or tights? Do I wear these shoes? When do I leave the house? Like, it's not all career decisions. But I think the idea sometimes of decision-making fatigue, like when you can't see the wood for the trees, that actually you can't make very good decisions because you end up just going, oh, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know what to do in this situation because yeah. you lose the ability to have clarity on the situation and make an informed and effective decision. And so what we thought we would do today is share a good and a bad decision that we've both personally made in the last 12 months because mm-hmm. uh, we, we just thought it's actually been a really interesting exercise to think about that and reflect a bit on what we'd learned from those decisions. And then in the second half of the podcast, we're going to go through five kind of top tips for making good decisions based on some of the science and some of the kind of the research that we've done ahead of today. So let's start with the good, which feels much nicer. So Helen, what was your good decision in the last Um, 12 months? We haven't shared these before now. We haven't shared. And I've got two. Oh, cheating. I know, cheating, but they're to illustrate kind of slightly different points. So my first kind of good decision that I made this year was to go um, full-time on Amazing If, which I... Great decision. Great decision. As your co-founder, I will attest to the fact that that's been a great decision. um, I probably made that decision in January this year um, and consciously chose to not make the move, if you know what I mean, until October because of some things that I was doing at Microsoft. But that has just been such a good decision in terms of how fulfilled I now feel, the opportunities that it has created for the business, um, kind of the prospects that we now have for next year. Like, it couldn't have been a better decision. And I also don't regret not doing it sooner because I think I had to be ready to make that decision. And I don't think I was until kind of in January and then doing it in, in October this year. So that, for me, has been a really good decision. And the thing that I learned from that particular decision is that, I mean, that was a big decision. We're talking about, like, a 16-year corporate career and a side project for the last five years and actually making a big, big change, potentially quite a risky change. What I learned from that was one of one two things, actually. The first was say a big decision out loud. So as soon as if you're thinking, like, oh, I think I'm going to leave my corporate job, which is Microsoft, and go full-time on Amazing If. That was the thing that I'd sort of been noodling in my head. As soon as I started saying it out loud to people it sort of just became more of a reality and people would go, oh, okay, you're going you're gonna to leave Microsoft this year, aren't you, and go full-time and Amazing If? And I was like, yes, I, yes, I am. That is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually helped me when I was kind of doubting things and thinking, oh, do I say this or do I not? The more I said it, almost the more confidence I had in the decision because it felt like more of a real thing. And the other thing, because that was such a big decision, and it does come with some risk, you know, you don't have all the things that come with you know, the security of working for a big corporate. But what Sarah and I had talked about was like, what's our backup plan? And so we'd said, we basically said, okay, what's the minimum amount of money you need to pay so that you can still pay your mortgage, basically? And we worked out that if it didn't go well, I was basically okay for six months. We kind of worked that through together. So actually we reduced the the impact of failure of the decision or we reduce the the impact of maybe that decision being a bad decision which you know it, it has not been at all so it's been fine but that's kind of just like it's risk management isn't it yeah yeah and I think the bigger the decision the more it can be really helpful to both say it out loud and also have like a backup plan if it becomes a bad decision so that's that's my first one and it sounds almost negative but I think as you were talking there I was reflecting on big decisions that I've made at work or for myself I always find it really useful to think about the worst case scenario. And I'm a naturally very positive person. 
So I take the worst case scenario and then I just work out what I would do yeah. if that if that thing happened. And then as long as I feel like I've there's some sort of solution to that, obviously it's not your ideal solution because it's the worst case scenario, then I actually feel it gives me the freedom to make those decisions, even if it's, you know, a kind of very work-orientated project decision. But, you know, you might feel a lot of accountability for something. You might be about to spend quite a lot of money on a project mm. or you might be about to hire somebody and, you know, you feel like, okay, well, I'm really taking accountability for hiring this person. It's a really important decision. And again, you kind of go, well, what's the worst case scenario here? Okay, well, this is what probation periods are for. If it, yeah. doesn't, if it doesn't work out, I know I've got that. So it's just almost knowing what is that kind of backup plan was the kind of phrase you used. I'd almost go a step further and go, well, what's the worst case scenario? And then what would I do about it? Yeah, and putting yourself in that mode. My, my second one's a lot smaller, and it's, it's, it's just an example, I think, a good decision this year. So we started to do a daily squiggly careers tip on Instagram. I can't even think quite when it was now. It's probably about three months ago, four months ago, you maybe. Start, you started doing I, it. <laughs> I guess the point was, I had this, like, I don't know, I had this random idea and thought, oh, I'll just start doing this daily squiggly careers tip. Now that has become a really useful thing for us because now we have, like, a really loyal bunch of people who come and watch that career tip every day. They give us comments, they recommend stuff to us, and it's actually it really helped to grow our Instagram community. And I guess what I've learned by that is that where a decision has pretty low risk... Like, do you know what? If that was a bad thing to do, our business wasn't doomed. I hadn't wasted that much time on it. Just just do it. Just try stuff. So I think if you've got a decision, just have a think about if it's low risk, like what's stopping you from making that decision? Don't let you kind of overthinking it get in the way of doing something about it. And I think that's an example of where done is better than perfect. And that often you can procrastinate, overthink decisions. And, and almost because of the volume of decisions, as we talked about at the start of the podcast, that means you can, you can end up in this paralysis of just not doing anything and then you don't move forward. And actually, I found exactly to Helen's example of sometimes I've done things and the first version of those things has been rubbish. You know, in terms of when I then look at what it went on to become and what, versus where I started, I can still remember doing my first ever blog post, uh, which would have been over 10 years ago now. And for the blog post, I took a picture of a picture on some tinfoil <laughs> and it looked just like a school project and it looked rubbish and my boyfriend laughed and just said that looks so amateur but I still did it and I just got it up there and I thought well probably like two people are reading it and I just want to learn how what blogging is and this is like a new thing and again I was just happy because by doing that I then did the next version I then did something different and you just you kind of build and learn it's that work in progress mentality isn't it of just feeling like things don't always have to be the finished article and actually I wonder whether even within squiggly careers and our jobs becoming squigglier, th this idea of something being finished, I think is almost disappearing. I'm trying to think of anything I work on where it's so discreet and so black and white that you just go, oh, that's finished. Yeah. Often you'll come back to a project or you'll amend it or you'll learn from it or you're doing the next version of something. Um, very rarely do things just sort of always stay within their box. And so uh, my good decision from the last 12 months is related to when I was looking for a, a new job. And I decided to share as part of the upfront interview process with every company that I was talking to that it was really important to me that I could work flexibly in any job that I was exploring. And I always explained very transparently why flexible working was so important to me. Firstly, because I had a business called Amazing If on the side that mm. I wanted to spend at least a day a week on. And secondly, because I'd had a baby very recently and I wanted to make sure that I could you know, be involved in looking after him, picking him up from nursery. And actually, I had a real debate in my own mind about what is the right time to share that? Because intuitively, I probably thought initially, oh, I should wait and get the job 
I should wait till they really want me and then I'll share it. And by then, maybe they just won't take it back and it'll all be fine. But I, I decided that it was so important to me and so critical that actually if that was something that was going to put somebody off offering me a job or offering me an interview, then ultimately they probably weren't somebody I would want to work with anyway. And it actually felt really, it felt really hard and it felt brave. And I think what I learned from that is if it's the right thing for you, if it's authentic for you and you've really thought about things that we've talked about on other podcasts like your values, what are your career must-haves, I knew that flexibility was one of my career must-haves. I know that variety is one of my values. It's such an integral part of who I am and how I work. I It felt right for me. But then the other thing I learned is it doesn't mean that it's not still hard and you don't feel conflicted because I then had a situation where... I was actually offered a job where I talked up front about wanting to work flexibly and they offered me a job, but then said, oh, but only if you'll do it full time. Um, which made me a tiny little bit angry. Yes, yeah. <laughs> because you, you I worked thought, really hard to well, make I've the point. I've told you this and um, we've gone through a process and then you've now offered me a job, but you've just take, you've taken something away and you've you've made me feel conflicted yeah, about and this. and it was never a negotiation on that point. It was, no, yeah. it was, you could have the job, but but not not in this context. And um, actually, I I remember thinking, it sounds like a really good job. I think they're a really interesting company. But I actually said no straight away. I didn't have to go away and think about it, I think, because I'd done that thinking up front. And so I suppose my point there is almost when you have got good levels of self-awareness and when you're making decisions that are very personal to you, only you know what the right decision for you is. And you have to feel confident in that and not be impacted by, you know, potentially shiny objects or what other people say or think. When you're talking about that, it makes me think about um, when you had decisions, it's quite good to have like almost like a decision-making criteria so that you could have a couple of things that you're looking for, which sounds it sounds really formal. It sounds, it sounds like... exactly like something I can imagine you would want to have, <laughs> a decision-making criteria. I'd she's, like a criteria and a, model. a rating model. Um, <laughs> we did, I did a course today um, and uh, someone gave me some feedback last night. It was a two-day course and they gave me some feedback and they were like, I really like the ratings models, more of those. And I thought, oh no, I've got no ratings models for you today. <laughs> really bad. But no, the fact of the decision-making criteria. So that sounds really formal for what was a very personal decision to Sarah. But what I mean is almost like a list of non-negotiables. So if you're making a decision, um, what's most important to you? So for Amazing If, if I'm going to make this decision, I need to make sure that my husband is supportive of it. I need to make sure that if I make this decision, I've got a backup plan. I need to make sure that I'm making this decision uh, and I feel like I'm doing it with integrity with my current employer, all that kind of stuff. And then you can particularly good if you've got a couple of options. So in Sarah's situation she was looking at a couple of different jobs and part of her criteria was you know do I want to work here is it a job that I'm probably going to grow and learn in is it a job that's going to give me the flexibility that I need to be successful and happy there were multiple things and you can almost imagine a table and a rating system I feel like you've you've mentally already drawn this table I've I've basically got this table and it's on a blog (laughs) post already no no but you can kind of see that actually particularly for big decisions where there are a few options that you're considering sometimes that kind of decision making criteria can give you a bit more perspective So should we go on to the not-so-fun, bad Yeah, let's bad do decisions. the not-so-fun one. Yeah, and this was actually a really interesting way to think about decisions that you've made because I think often you reflect on really big decisions. So for me, the good one was really easy because I was like, that was a really big decision. I really remember thinking that through. 
and then actually I could think of lots of like small bad decisions all the time. Yeah. And so it's, it's almost like the way that you think of decisions, you remember probably only one or two of the really good ones, and then I can remember millions of the bad ones. Okay. So where did you start with your bad um, one? I start my bad one, Sarah and I haven't talked about this. So um, I finished my MBA in, I think I handed it my stuff in in January, and in March I started a coaching course. Now, that actually wasn't the bad decision, like finishing one thing and starting another, but my bad decision was probably the course that I chose. So I chose a particular course and I chose it for the right reasons. So actually my decision-making criteria to go back to the previous point was um, a The course... model work, did it? The, mod- <laughs> the model stands up. Yeah, here we go, yeah. So the, it, sort of, but then I regret the decision, so maybe it didn't work. But the um, my criteria for choosing that course was it had got good recommendations from people that I trusted, a past manager, my husband, all that kind of stuff. It, it gave me flexibility to do the learning around my work because I could choose things that I want to do and I could personalise the programme because there were certain modules I could, I could pick from. And so it had lots of things that I wanted to do. But I haven't really enjoyed it. I'm still doing it. Gosh, I'm going to be doing it until kind of early next year because I have to extend it now. But I haven't really enjoyed it because it has been so self-directed. And what that's meant is I found it very easy to put it off because there haven't been lots of dedicated days, because there hasn't been a group of people that I'm learning with. I almost haven't felt the commitment to it. So it's been very easy for me to say, oh, that meeting's more important. Oh, actually, me writing the book on that day is more important. And it's meant that I've dragged it out. Now... I used my decision-making criteria to make the decision, but the big difference is I have been in this situation before. I have done courses previously where it's been on distance learning and I haven't committed to them. You've not learned from your past mistakes. And and there is the the gem of wisdom for (laughs) decision-making. So I think that there is a value. Um, I don't think you always want to be paralysed by what you've done before, But in that particular instance, I had a point of evidence that I was choosing to ignore, which was that I find it difficult to, very specifically, like complete courses when I'm doing them on my own and they're self-directed. I have been far more successful when I'm part of a learning group that, that continues and goes with me. I feel much more committed in that situation. And so to make that a bit more of a generic learning for people listening, when you're making a decision, I think it is useful to look backwards to decisions you might have made before and see if there's any evidence of um, something you've done or how you felt or how you've reacted that can help you to inform this decision basically it was a piece of criteria that I just ignored like Mm. have I done have I made a decision like this previously and how effective was it I did not have that as one of my criteria I just had a whole load of other stuff and actually it's probably been one of the things that's been most fundamental to me not really enjoying doing the program which I now just like okay I've just I'm committed to it now I've got to I've got to do it yeah so uh, without wanting to sound too smug I was just reflecting on my good decision again just go back to that (laughs) I'm Um, just gonna think about how good I make decisions yeah exactly (laughs) and probably one of the reasons that I could actually stick to my guns in terms of thinking about flexible working and that being important to me even when I was actually under pressure from external sources to change my mind was I remembered in a previous job moving from full-time to part-time work having a more flexible role quite recently within the kind of the last couple of years and just how happy that made me I I knew that then it made me even better at my other job it gave me the flexibility to do things that I really wanted to do so I think I could remember what that felt like so even though I'd had a gap and had maternity leave in between kind of the two jobs that I was in it wasn't that far in the past and and I knew that that had such a positive impact I was thinking it's worth it It, because I know that the positive impact is worth it for me but I'll, I'll now do my bad decision. Okay, yeah, please do. Helen's um, sort of looking at me with um, 
you know, evil eyes going, come on, move on to your bad decision. Uh, So my bad decision is um, I put in a training session with my senior leaders at the company that I work in and we were going to do some stuff on strengths. Now, I wasn't going to deliver the session. We had somebody coming in to do something called Strength Scope, so it's more of like a strength assessment. And I put the date in the diary. I spoke to everybody about it briefly, like in one of our weekly meetings and said, oh, we're going to do this. I'll sort it all out. You know, I knew someone who could do it. I thought, brilliant. Everyone's going to be really excited about it. And as we got closer and closer to the day of actually doing the training, everyone was really busy, but everyone is always really busy. So that was, I was going, okay, well, everyone's always really busy. But there was a real sense of stress about going on this course that I could feel from the kind of people around me. And I was thinking... Oh, I don't get why people are maybe not looking forward to it. You have to fill in like a pre-assessment before the day. And, you know, people was, it was, it was almost like the end of the world. The people had to spend 20 minutes filling out this assessment. And I was going, I just don't get it. Like, surely everyone's really excited about this. And this is like a brilliant thing to do. And then 24 hours before we were due to do the actual course, one of our founders, I work in a founder-led business, said to me, I think we've got to cancel it. I think we're too busy. We've got too much stuff going on. We, we can't do it. And I kind of went, okay. I, was, I wasn't sure what I thought about doing that, but mm. I, I sort of went, went with it. And I could sense the real sort of stress and thought, well, you know, I don't want people to be there if they don't want to be there. Cancelled it. I had to obviously cancel the trainer, which wasn't great. And obviously that cost us some money because it was, it was so last minute. And then we did go on to do the session again at kind of later date, but kind of took, took, took us a bit of time to kind of get, get it back in. So it's not that we didn't do the session. So I really reflected afterwards on what I learned from almost like not making a decision, essentially. And that's what I think I got wrong in that situation. I was so blinkered to, I think everyone should do this course. I think it's a really good thing Mm -hmm. that I almost ignored all of the signals around me. And actually, those signals should have prompted me to make a decision about that course sooner. That's really interesting. I think I should have made the decision there to go, this is not the right time. And actually, it wasn't the right time when I now reflect on it and have learned from it for two reasons. One, I'd actually not done enough work to talk to people about what the course was, why it was important, why it was worth people's time. So people weren't bought into it. And secondly, they were genuinely busy. Yeah. But that second point was almost not the problem. The problem was point one. And mm. so as well as ignoring the signals, the second thing I'd done wrong was I'd made assumptions that everybody thought the same way as me. That they all thought it was a good decision. Mm. That even doing it was good. Yeah. So I think I'd I'd forgotten, almost, that maybe not everyone is as bought into doing strength training yeah. as I might be. And almost because of my own bias around, I love any training opportunity that comes my way. One of my values is learning. Yeah. So of course I always think it's amazing. And just I, th- I just assumed... Everybody else would think it was brilliant. So that was almost my first mistake. And I didn't spot that until kind of way after. And then my second mistake was when I was getting all these signals that almost people didn't want to be there, didn't want to do it. I just kind of soldiered on in a really sort of blinkered way. Yeah. So the I guess the insight for other people is when you've made a decision, just be aware of your being blinkered and your determination to see that decision through. And actually, particularly if it's a work decision where you're where it has an impact on other people just because it's a decision that makes sense to you if it doesn't make sense to other people and actually it's not it's not a productive decision for them in that context you might need to rethink it like be open to rethinking it yeah and I think you have to take accountability for that because I also and like another thing I got wrong as part of this whole situation was I got quite blamey Mm. you know because I do think you do I think because you think it was the right thing to do and I was a bit like well this is not my fault 
this is everybody else's fault and everyone should be able to make time for this so you you take you stop having accountability and responsibility for the decision and almost like for your own actions mm. you just put it on kind of everyone else and you're like oh it's, it's almost like out of my control yeah and I think you have to be aware to then stop and pause and think okay so what could I have done differently mm-hmm. because ultimately you can't control other people's behaviors and however they choose to act but you can choose to control your own yeah and make your own decisions and when something doesn't go to plan or the way that you thought it would go I always think they're the moments honestly where you learn the most and you know crikey I don't want those all day every day because <laughs> you know that the whole situation I found very stressful yeah I can imagine um, you know in, like you knowing me you can imagine how stressful I would find that but I actually think I learned an awful lot about the culture, the things I needed to do, how I could be a better leader there, mm. how I could have more impact. So once I got over the this is a disaster and got into learning mode, it kind of all figured itself out. I actually think it's an interesting point within that. You'll be pleased to know. You'll be like, oh, thanks, thanks Helen, for saying this yeah. interesting point there. But um, it's about the fitting the decisions you make to the culture that you're operating in. Mm. So let's say you're, you know, I've worked for quite big organisations like BP and Microsoft and decisions generally aren't made super quickly because it's a matrix organisation. You have to go through quite a few different people. And so actually it's a bit counterculture to suddenly just go, we're doing this, I've had an idea, this is what we're doing. Even though I might want to do that because I'm naturally quite a pacey kind of person, that doesn't fit the culture of that organisation. In other places, maybe in startups, they like, they thrive on quick decisions. And so if you're like, oh, oh let's all get round a table and let's collaborate, that would be very anti the culture. That was the, for me, that was a situation at Virgin Red. Much smaller business, fewer people. It wasn't founder-led, but we had a really strong MD, CEO of that business, and he liked making quick decisions. So actually, it would really frustrate him if you had a decision and you, and you took like a two days to make it because you wanted to get lots of thought that he wasn't yeah. like that. So I think thinking about how you make decisions in a way that fits the culture that you're operating in is, is an interesting thing for you to reflect on. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
So let's go through now our kind of five top tips for making good decisions based on lots of the reading that mainly Helen has done (laughs) and I'm now going to steal because she's got a cough so I basically get to steal her thunder, which is amazing. Um, So top tip number one is about psychological distance. And what I really liked when Helen was talking to me about this is the difference between making decisions in first person versus third person. And what that means is most of us make decisions all the time in kind of first person. You think about it from your own perspective first and like what you would do. And you think about my example there of a bad decision. That's exactly what I did. It was all about me. Mm-hmm. And the way the analogy that I use here to kind of think about this is imagine almost like floating outside of your own body and kind of looking down on what's happening and on the decision that you're trying to make. So kind of having that halo effect. So if you were kind of having like a helicopter view almost of what's happening and you're sort of looking down on yourself and you're including yourself in that, would you make the same decision? It's almost just giving yourself a bit of space and distance away from it. And I think if I'd have done that, if I'd have just stopped thinking about myself for a minute in that last situation and just gone, okay, let's just think about what's happening here and what have you maybe missed? I think it probably just gives you a different perspective. Or even literally for me, I could just go, what decision would Sarah make in this situation? Yeah, that's nice. Like almost just taking different people and saying, okay, would they make the same decision? What else would they be considering? Just as a prompt to get you to think slightly differently. So tip number two then is to just be wary of our bias for short-term thinking. So um, back to that whole um, squiggly quiz tips on Instagram stories. I did one this week which said that why we're so bad at setting long-term goals and it said that that we actually have a natural inclination to make decisions based on how we feel today our short-term version ourselves they gave the example of um, saving for your retirement and they said that people were far more likely to save for their retirement if they really visualized who they would be when they were like 70 75 if they didn't do the visualization exercise of who they would be in the future it seemed too distant and actually all they really cared about was well if I save for my retirement that's like 50 quid less I'm going to have this month and I really care about the version of me now and so be careful of short-term think when you're making decisions know that your natural kind of mental state is to focus on the short term to do something that is going to feel great right now so diets for example um people tend to the chocolate bar that you want to eat right now might actually feel better and more real than the vision of how you want to look in the future or whatever it is so just think about what am i being swayed is my decision making being swayed by what it might feel like in the moment and is that stopping me from making a better long-term decision it might not actually change the decision you're making but it's just another little prompt to say am I doing this because it feels like a good thing to do right now and have I actually considered the the longer term implications of this decision it's sort of like instant gratification isn't it Hmm. and I was thinking as you as you were talking there sometimes the short-term decision is also the easier decision yeah I was just thinking through all the decisions that I make often I I reckon there would often be a correlation between going well if I do this in the short term that's what everybody else is quite focused on as well so it's just easier it's easier to get other people to agree it's easier to probably do things quicker but there might just be times where the longer term and potentially harder decision 
is the right one. Oh, so maybe to illustrate it, the um, Helen leaving Microsoft to go to Amazing If, there's a short-term and a long-term element to that decision. The short-term is, this is going to be really exciting. I'm going <laughs> to get to run our business and it's going to feel really great. And next week I'm going to be at home and I'm going to have, like, you know, CEO on my job title. There's a whole load of good short-term things. But actually that stuff doesn't necessarily last and that could have been... Um, almost like a shiny object that could have distracted me in that decision-making. But I actually had a whole load of long-term elements in that decision-making, one of which was um, the kind of parent I wanted to be. So I actually really thought about what do I want my children to see? You know, I work a lot, whether it's at Microsoft or Amazing If, and I thought about when they're, you know, 10, 15 years' time, when they're looking at mummy and mummy's working, what is the version of work that I particularly want them to see? And what I want them to see is that you can work in a company or you can work for yourself and you can actually design your work. And so I did have some long-term elements in when I made that decision. I thought it through in different timeframes. And that's all I'm saying now is don't just think about short-term kind of rapid appealing shiny object stuff just think about that decision and the implications in a year's time in five years time just to stretch your thinking a little bit and make sure you're not being swayed by the sexy stuff and so tip number three is about being brave enough to kill something or change something if it's not working and the example that's often given here is around the Concorde where I think it was both the French and the English or the kind of UK government Mm -hmm. who kept investing in Concorde way after it was viable and I suppose you almost you know when you like get too far and no one's brave enough to call it or you've invested too much too much money too emotionally much time. it's got status no one wants to yeah <laughs> I just think in my mind I'm thinking about Brexit but we probably shouldn't go there yeah so I think with being brave um to kill something the key to making those decisions is to be really clear at the start about what your objectives are and how will you know if you've been successful? I think the times when I have been brave enough to suggest a different point of view or do something differently to maybe what was originally intended is when I've looked back on what are we actually trying to achieve and how will we know if we've been successful? If you've taken the time up front to think about those things, it almost gives you a kind of point of reference to keep coming back to and to think, is that, this is actually not delivering on those things. Or maybe I just... I can't prove that it's doing those things or there might be something even better now that could do that original kind of intention. And so when you're making decisions on projects or on whether it's on projects or work decisions or personal decisions, always kind of know the why. I think that's kind of the key. Like, why am I doing this thing, whatever that thing is? And how will I know when that why has been achieved? So point number four then to kind of help you to think about decision making, which I actually found really interesting when I was looking at the research, is that too many options is not a good thing. So they in the research, they looked at actually that um, if there are too many, back to investing for your retirement again, weirdly, different research, but same kind of thing. They looked at um, if there were too many alternative ways for people to invest for their retirement, they are less likely to invest at all. And they also did another set of research to kind of look at the same point, which was that people get more pleasure when they're choosing a chocolate from a selection of five than when they pick from the same um, kind of selection, but it's it's a selection of 30. So there's almost like more angst involved when you've got more options. It makes the decision harder. You don't enjoy the decision. You don't feel as positive about the outcome because you're kind of deliberating more about the choices that could have been, I suppose. So if you're faced with a decision where there are too many options, and let's, I mean, let's use the research. They basically said, you know, f- five versus 30. If you've got more than five options when you're considering, you know, a job, 
how to do a project, um, whatever kind of things that you're facing at work. That is too many. You need to do a bit of a, a filter or a cull of your options. Somehow, maybe you use that decision-making criteria to knock a few off so that you're left with fewer than five options to make your decision. And then you will it'll be easy to make the decision and you'll feel more positive about the decision that you've made. Yeah, and I think I was reflecting on sometimes, you know, when you make decisions, there's so many interdependencies. And I always think of it a bit like that game where you have all the monkeys that are all kind of connected together. And sometimes there are more than five options or, you know, one decision will result in another decision, which will result in another decision. And I think when you get past four or five, almost like implications or further decisions, then you've just got to divide it up. So often this is the case, I think, sometimes, you know, where you're doing people decisions or you're putting, you're working out who's going to do which project and where, and you kind of go, well, if I move this chess piece here, then that chess piece needs to move and all of those different things. And then you can suddenly end up with 15, 20 decisions or implications. At that point, I always stop and just go, okay, what's the first three things we need to do? Let's do those things first. Then let's stop. Then let's do the next three. Then let's do the Mm. next three. Because I think if you go too far, then actually sometimes until you've made the first one or two, you don't always know that the outcome is going to be exactly what you'd imagined. Yeah. So also I think break it up is useful. And then the last tip, which I really like, I think this might actually be my favourite one, yeah. is um, if you're maybe struggling to write to, to make a decision or you really want just a different mechanism to think through a decision, try writing it down or visualising it in some way. And actually when Helen was talking to me about this, I was thinking about the book that I've got sitting in front of me now, my notebook, And I definitely do this, but I definitely do it in quite a visual way. So if I'm thinking about decisions, say, we're making for Amazing If, some sort of picture with words will often appear in lots of different ways. So I'm I'm obviously almost trying to figure out the same problem in by sometimes doing a bit of like a brainstorm diagram sometimes there's a little you know model because I need to, obviously I need to have a model because otherwise Helen doesn't talk to me <laughs> about making a decision so sometimes there's a model sometimes there's a brainstorm sometimes there's just me like doing some doodling with some words but it's all me trying to kind of figure out and put down what it is that I'm thinking about what's rattling around in my head and it you know that whole thing of stopping it being in your head and just getting it out onto paper I think just helps to give you some clarity in terms of what's really important. I'm a bit retro with that as well. I quite quite like a pros and cons list. Just like if I've um, I've got a decision. Of course you do. I was like, yeah, I know, God. (laughs) But like actually almost like the bigger decision, the simpler the tool to help you. So when you're really, really thinking something through, I think it can just get really magnified in your head. And a pros and cons list... It's not it's not the perfect solution, but it just gives you some things to think about and then you can kind of go, okay, are those things more important? Mm. It doesn't necessarily win out if there's five five pros versus three cons. It's more actually because some of those pros will be more important. But it's just a again, it's just a bit of a filter for you, gets it out of your head. Also means you can talk about it with other people. So what I've found sometimes with decisions is that I can take my pros and cons list and talk to someone like Sarah or my husband Gareth and I'll say I'm thinking about this decision this is what I think is good about it these are things that I'm worried about what do you think and then sometimes they'll they'll wipe things off like my husband before has said yeah don't worry about that we're fine don't, you don't need to worry about that thing take that off actually that's a really big point that's something that we should talk about and it's taken the thing in my head and suddenly I've involved other people in helping me to form a decision but if I hadn't written it down and I hadn't looked at a few different perspectives on what I was feeling about it I wouldn't have been able to have those conversations yeah and that's probably a really good build actually to that final tip is around writing it down visualizing it and sharing it 
because I was thinking, despite having uh, mocked you a tad for the pros and cons list... You always mock me. I'm all right with that. I know. <laughs> it's a good job, isn't it, probably, given we uh, do this together. But I actually wrote an email yesterday that had pros and cons in it, and I actually even used the phrase, pros, cons, here's my recommendation. So there's a bit about sharing your working. Yeah. And like you say, allowing other people to critique it, and actually you can then potentially make a better decision as a result. So just a quick recap for everyone, our kind of five top tips for making decisions... Number one, think about decisions from a third-person perspective rather than just always from your own perspective. Number two, just be aware of short-term thinking driving your decisions. Three, be brave enough to kill something and use objectives and success measures to help you do that. Number four, don't have too many options. And number five, get it out of your head onto some paper or visualise it in some way and share it with other people. So hopefully that's been an interesting and useful podcast on decision making. I now feel really pressured to start making better decisions. Yeah, really? Yeah. <laughs> like what decisions right now? are we going to make tomorrow? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> what, what, what model should we use? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like every little mini decision in the next 24 hours are going to be reflecting on, like, am I following all of our own top tips? Am I looking at past experiences? <laughs> yeah, and getting into kind of over, over, Maybe learning just do overload. Maybe one, one tip at a time. Like, yeah. Don't be like every decision. Have I done one, two, three and four? Um, like just, do, just, you know incrementally get better at making decisions using those tips one really good action that everyone listening could take is do exactly as we've done think about in the last 12 months in 2018 about a really good decision you've made and a bad decision you've made and just think about why was it good and why was it bad and actually that links really nicely to what we're going to talk about for next week so next week we're actually going to talk about the art of reflection which sounds uh, very kind of pondering and meaningful uh, but we're going to do it in a typical practical action focus here's some way. actions you can take yeah. <laughs> so um it sounds lovely and lofty but you know we, we're gonna talk about the way that we reflect on you know days weeks months and kind of the year and give you lots of kind of tools and techniques for how you can do the same so in the meantime as ever really appreciate everything that you guys do in terms of sharing reviewing and rating the podcast please keep doing that it really helps us supports us um, and we say it all the time but it makes us so happy when we hear from you it's all the best part of doing the podcast so nice. it's so good um it makes makes us super happy and you know lots of emoticons appear in our whatsapp group <laughs> essentially so please do keep doing that and in the meantime thanks so much for listening see you all next week bye for now bye Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.